All right, so welcome to the Troy Kearns Channel podcast, where we talk all things real estate, business, entrepreneurship. Today, I'm with one of the best attorneys in all of Las Vegas, with one of the best firms, Joseph Ganley from Hutchinson and Stefan. Joe, tell us about yourself. Thanks, Troy. Thanks uh, for having me. Glad to see you again. It's been a little bit. Well, I'm an attorney here in Las Vegas and um, came from Boston, and you'll be able to tell that soon, I'm sure, with right. my accent uh, that I haven't shaken after all these years. Uh, yeah, I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for 27 years. Uh, I got educated back east. Uh, ended up in Las Vegas. Uh, I have a classic uh, Vegas story, how I ended up here like everyone else. How did you get here again? You know, I got a job at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the summer. Okay. Um, for the summer during uh, one of my law school years. Uh, when I got out here, my boss was a Boston Irishman. Uh, Moynihan was his last name. And he was the chief of the civil division in the U.S. Attorney's Office. We hit it off. At the time, I was coming from Boston University. At the time, there was a kid from Harvard here named Clarity. Okay. Uh, so we had a good summer. We hung out, and they called us the Irish Musketeers. And uh, we, it, I just had a great time. You know, we were working on organized crime task force, a drug task so force. So you were going for the, uh, like the political thing. You are going after guys. Yeah, yeah. It was heady stuff. Now, I was just a law student. Yeah. Uh, but it was a good job to get. I was glad to have it. It was a great experience. Uh, and Moynihan, uh, my old boss, pushed Las Vegas on me and he kept saying you're coming to Vegas I'm like I am there's not a snowball's chance of heck I am gonna end up in freaking Vegas no way yeah and uh what happened uh, you know what happened so I go back to BU and I got two more years left to BU and he's we stayed in touch and third year BU he says Gianley get out here and I want you to come out here and interview I said no way he said all right I'll tell you what just come out for your spring break Clarity's coming back out here from the department the justice department and we'll have a you know we'll have a good week together so I said, yeah, all right, I'll come visit you in, in Clarity, Kevin Clarity. And uh, before I got on the plane, he's like, hey, bring a suit. <laughs> he goes, I lined up some interviews. I'm like, mother, you son of a gun. So, uh, so, so I closed did. you. Yeah, so, he, so I did. I, I came out and I went through these interviews here in Vegas with some big firms in town. And I did it really to appease him. Right. And he had his own agenda going. And, uh, you know, now, in hindsight, I mean, that was such a blessing in disguise. And, and I'm so grateful because... Um, that's where I met Mark Hutchison, and you know Mark well. Right. Um, Not as well as you. You're like his, <laughs> like his right-hand man, right? Yeah, I mean, John Stephan and, and me, yeah, I'd say. And um, I, met, I met Mark Hutchison on that interview uh, when I was out here. And, you know, I'm flying back to Boston, Troy. Here I am finishing up law school in Boston. I got a job lined up in Boston in the Federal Reserve uh, building, which was a big, heady oh, thing man. at that time. Your career was going a different way. Yeah, totally different way. And, right. uh, you know, it was, it was good, heady stuff. And... I met Hutchison, right. and flying back on the plane, I thought, man, if that firm ever offered me, if Hutchison ever offered me a job. Now, at that time, it wasn't Hutchison and Stefan. He was at a, a bigger firm, which was a spinoff of Lionel Sawyer and Collins. And flying back on the plane, I thought, man, if he ever offers me a job, I'd have to really, really think of that. Really? You know, and then, you know, what, life what happens. It, it, it never planned. Then he offered the job. Well, what, what impressed you so much about him? Like, so for those of you guys who don't know, who's Mark Hutchinson? So Hutchinson is my law partner. He is uh, the former lieutenant governor of the state of Nevada. I think he'd be the governor of the state of Nevada right now if he ran in the last election against Sisolak. Uh, he chose not to. A lot of people wanted him to run, even Democrats. Uh, so the thing about Mark politically is he appeals to uh, conservative Democrats. So he can, he can grab that vote. Um, but he's still a tried-and-true Republican. So, um, but he, he has this personal appeal to people. And, um, 
he's charismatic, he's smart, he's energetic, he's, he's got a lot of things that are good for Nevada. And um, Why didn't he run? You know, I think part of the reason why he didn't run Troy was because, I mean, that's definitely a question for him, and he could answer that way better than I, but I personally think, without any inside insight for Mark, is that um, the firm is flourishing, Mm-hmm. He's busy with law's practice. He's bri- busy with his family. He's active in his church. So he had all those things going for him. And I thought he, I think he thought maybe the next election round he'll right. do it. And now what's happening is uh, Hutchison has formed uh, a political action committee that supports Republican candidates. So, uh, but he was that charismatic for me way back then to give me the impetus or, or at least the notion that you guys have fire, both of you guys. When I. When I <laughs> I met you guys very young in my career on yeah. uh, suing a former partner that screwed me. Yeah. And uh, you were just a dynamite guy and still are. And I was like, I need to, like, these guys. And somebody told me, they're like, hey, watch your bill. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, they're really good. And you guys are. And that's why people pay for you. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole thing about, listen, Joy, I'll be the first one to say, first one, uh, the Lawyer fees are obnoxious. Right. The rates they charge, we charge, it's, it's obnoxious. It's, uh, I can't afford myself sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. and, uh, and I don't come from a long line right. of attorneys. I, I, you know, right. my, I come from a, my dad was a bricklayer, and I, I didn't know any attorneys. And so, uh, so I get it because I know the value of a buck. But right. you know, anytime we needed to talk about a bill or rates and all that stuff, uh, I'd talk to you about it. We'd work it out and right. we'd figure no, out what was I fair. Mean, that's why we ended up. Uh, bringing you on the HOA board and stuff like that. Like when I feel like I'm like, yeah. if you guys ever want the best attorney, like when you like it's you, then that's why you look at attorneys. You're like, okay, there's some guys that you got to bring in and you want a flamethrower. Yeah. Bring in Joe yeah, Danley. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, th- thanks. And I, I got to tell you, Hutchison, as you know, is just like that. Yes. 100%. Super, super energetic. And you said, so what was it about Hutchison way back then? That was it. I, you know, listen, I had worked in New York city. Uh, yeah. at a huge international law firm called Davis Book and Woodwell. They're down on Wall Street. And then I had worked at uh, these big firms in Boston. This was a big firm in Nevada, but it was completely different. Like, there was no ego. There was no, like, um, he was just very, very approachable, very uh, down-to-earth, uh, right. but super smart, too. Super smart. Super. He's a fighter. Fighter, right? yep. You guys fight together. You guys have done some big cases. What's, like, one of the big cases that you guys have done that you could talk about? Where you want? I know you've gone against like some Goliaths, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, no, thanks for asking, Troy. I'll tell you that what just happened uh, two months ago was one of the biggest cases of our career, uh, and Hutchison was the lead, and that was an antitrust case. Um, so, anything we talk about, as you know, Troy, is is public knowledge, right? Right. So, so uh, anything else we couldn't talk about, but this case, uh, our client was Switch. Okay. Um, so publicly traded, they're a big dog. They're, Switch is a great great uh, Nevada-born story. I mean, that guy started here. He started small. Is that Gregson? Yeah. Okay. And uh, just just an incredible story. Built that thing up, and um, it's done a phenomenal job, and it was an antitrust case. So that was another company saying, hey, you put us out of business because you're a monopoly, and you have total control. And uh, that was a massive case. Uh, It was going to be, I mean, they were seeking half a billion dollars in damages uh, or more uh, once you get it in triplicate. Um, so it, it ended up resolving after three days of trial. And we had slated, the judge had slated five to six weeks of right. trial. How are your nerves in trial, like, the first time? Like, I mean, it's it's intense, and they're like, the first time I got deposed, I think it was with you. You actually put me in with the client. I'll give you one thing. So 
you were right about Alaska Airlines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Joe gives me the best advice a lawyer can give you, which is take your battle elsewhere, Troy. You're a smart guy. Don't make a stupid case and sue a guy, sue a company that can burn their cargo and get away with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I had gotten kicked off an Alaska Airlines flight for being doing nothing, which was simply speaking back to the stewardess when she asked me a question. And so, very, very unfairly, I got to say, it truly, truly was. Sorry to interrupt you. No, Troy. go ahead. You're fine. Truly, truly was unfair. I saw the videotape. Uh, Troy was coming to the aid of another uh, passenger who had been be being berated and mistreated by the stewardess. And you stepped up and said, hey, hey, hold on. You leave this lady alone. And then the next thing, you were the target. Right. And, uh, man, I felt really bad for you. That's essentially it. And, uh, you know, we ended up uh, going to battle. And then I, I probably should have took the first deal on the table. And you always learn your lessons on those ones. You actually teed it up for me pretty nicely. And yeah. I actually uh, ended up spilling the beans on that one and costing myself more than what I already could have gotten on the first one. So I should have settled that deal. When we put him, when you put me in front of the uh, person there, but yeah. I did, I yeah. wanted more, and that's all right though. You know you what, know? Troy? I, I and you know, I never faulted you for that. I don't, uh, I don't. Uh, I always say attorneys make recommendations, clients make decisions. So you know, we made the recommendation, right. and uh, but I also understood where you were coming from because those are the toughest, right? Where you truly, truly were mistreated. Uh, and, and not treated right, and it was a decent deal, but it wasn't a blockbuster deal. And uh, you're an ambitious guy, right? So, you know. Well, I needed more horsepower. If I, I was going to fight that fight, I needed that to be my only fight. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and spend a lot of money on it. Yeah. And I should have had more evidence, and I should have let him drag me out. And you know what? Honestly, that was just my ego was wounded on that one, probably, right? Your egos. It happens, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so you as a wise attorney says, hey, you know. <laughs> well, without, without breaching any privileges or saying what I told Troy at the time, I will say Here's the way I look at Troy. This guy, without, this is going to sound hokey over there. Uh, you know, he's soaring with the eagles. And so sometimes you don't want to swat at the flies. And, you know, that Alaska Airlines thing, I'm like, you know what? This is kind of swatting at flies right now. And, you're, and what you're doing with your life, um, you, you, you know, it, as much as you can try to put that behind you, you don't want to swat at the flies. Sometimes it, the tough thing, though, is somebody's going to win or get the better of you if you just leave them behind. Um, but in the macro level view, right, um, you're going to be better off. You got right. them in your rear view mirror. I'm mixing metaphors here, but they're behind you. They, be, they, they can feel like they beat you or defeated you. are like, whatever. Right. You're, you're above that. You're like, yeah, go have your party. Do, rejoice. Do your Irish if, if you're like, so most of the guys who are listening to the show or gals who are listening to the show, they're either thinking about getting into real estate investing, business, entrepreneurship, and do you ever see people get sued in real estate, business, and entrepreneurship? <laughs> Uh, all the time, yeah, okay. all the time, yeah. What's the, what's the most common reason that you have disputes? Well, you know, one thing, well, just like you said, like the first time we met, you're having a dispute with your partner, and um, we handle that all the time, um, whether it's in real estate, whatever business it is, we handle that all the time. And I call those, um, Troy, I call those uh, corporate divorces. Right. And they're a lot like divorces. Uh, they carry the emotion of divorces, sure. the, uh, the animosity, the, the, you know, the recriminations and all that stuff. And the thing about it is, I, I can remember it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Your you're, like, you're like, you did that to me. Yeah, you know <laughs> right. I mean? Yeah, right. and yeah, you can't. Sometimes you can't let it go, and and uh, it's, e even dovetails a little with, with that Alaska, Alaska Airlines case. Like, those things are so emotional. Divorces are so emotional. Corporate divorces are. We've done some where folks have been partners for forty years. You know, wow. they're godparents to each other's kids. They've gone on vacations together, and. Um, 
you know, and then they're each, at each other's throats. And, it, and it's tough. And it's uh, so we got to do when those happen. I always tell the associates, I say, being a counselor at law is a lot tougher and more important than being an attorney at law. Right. And, you know, you've probably heard that expression once or twice, but. No, but I haven't. That's the first time. Yeah, right. it's, it's the truth. When you're a counselor at law, so you got to counsel people through these emotional, these traumatic you know, this turmoil and, and traumatic times, and um, and that's the toughest part. But to get to your original question, like what causes these disputes, um, it's usually um, uh, one of three things. One is greed. Okay. Um, people want uh, more of the pie than they deserve. Two is unappreciation for what the other person's doing. Okay. So what would you call that? Envy? A little bit envy or a little bit like, um, it's just like in a marriage, like, um, yeah, envy, like, you, or or resentment too. Resentment. You know, like um, usually we'll have in these deals, whether it's real estate or not, there's somebody with money and someone with an idea. So the person with the idea says, hey, I'm more important. I had the idea. I cre created the whole thing. Yeah. And the person with the money says, you aren't getting anywhere without right. me. Yeah. And they Lack say, well, of respect for both of their roles. Exactly. Right. And at first, at the outset, it's a honeymoon, right? right? Yeah, they love each other. They both appreciate each other. And then, you know, and that changes over time. And it's just human nature. And uh, Because idea guy is not hard work guy and money guy. Idea guy is idea guy. He's the idea He's guy. not changing. No. And either is money guy, and they both that, need to understand that. That's right. And, that's, and you, when you go through a couple of those situations, like even with w the past case that we talked about, um, I think the biggest thing from going through any sort of litigation or even like um, disputes is that you realize how you're going to do it next time better. Yeah. And, and if that's the only takeaway, like stuff's going to happen, man. Emotions get tied up. Somebody's going to feel some sort of way about you. You're going to feel some sort of way about somebody else. And you need to have a good attorney who's your counselor who's going to give you good advice. I mean, listen, Joe could have taken a lot more money from me because I wanted to fight. That's how. It, that's what I'm used to doing. You know, yeah. you fight when someone takes advantage of you. Yeah. And sometimes when you fight with an attorney, it costs a lot of money. And even if you're right, it still costs a lot of money and you don't get nothing for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So sometimes, Hutchison and I, I will say to clients when they come in, we say, listen, if you want this third-party, overworked, disinterested person, that is the judge, uh, to decide your fate, yeah, come to uh, go to the Nevada court system. And that's not denigrating these judges. They work hard, but they're, they're inundated. It's this, true. Th it's, you know, tr it's true. It's true. It's just like all our civil servants, right? We, we're, as a city, Nevada has just, Las Vegas has just been growing uh, so much, so fast. People. Yeah, for, for, and you know, you know yeah. all those stats about the real estate and how it impacts real estate, but it impacts the court system and the civil servants. So the point is they're inundated and they're overworked and, uh, and they work really, really hard and they try to do a good job. But at the end of the day, they're overworked. They got a million other cases. They have, each of those judges has like two cases, 2,000 cases on their doc, 2,000 cases. <laughs> so, you know, you know, sometimes I'll talk to clients and like, well, the judge only remembers from last time. I'm like, no. No, it was just two weeks ago. I'm like, absolutely, we'll not remember. Let so me have, brief him. Yeah, we got to brief them and remind them because they just have so many cases. Uh, and we're litigators and we're fighter pilots, you know that. Uh, but uh, we also say, listen, look for alternative. Look at Joe's vernacular. I love it. <laughs> well, He's got the Boston, the sports, the <laughs> fighter pilots. Mixing it all in. Yeah. yeah. But, but, I mean, if to, to avoid those type of disputes, we'll say, yeah, let's let's try to do something alternative, like uh, maybe a mediation, maybe like with that Alaska Airline, we got you in the room. That guy flew down. This guy, yeah. they respected <laughs> that claim so much by Troy that they um, – because this thing was videotaped, this, this incident on the Alaska Airlines. And at the time, 
those type of incidences were making the news it was a right lot. right after United. Yeah, and that some guy got um, carried off, and he's all bloodied, and then we get this Troy one where he was being mistreated. Uh, and so they were concerned about that, and they, they flew a guy all the way down from Alaska, I think from Alaska, um, wherever they had Seattle. Are. Seattle. Right. Yep, yep Seattle. that's right, Seattle. All right, so not, not as far. But they came down, and, and we got them in a room, and that was the whole idea, right, to, to try to have us work it out together before we put it in the hands of, uh, of this third party who – who might not have the time to, to pay attention to it. Um, but going back to your very original question, Troy, is what can people do in real estate as you guys are starting out? Maybe you're starting a partnership. Uh, maybe you're just starting your own gig. Maybe you're getting certain licenses. Uh, but whenever you team up with somebody, well, whenever you start a corporation, the shortest money you can ever spend on an attorney uh, is to get those corporate papers um, in order. And it's short money. And what I mean by that is it can be, 750 bucks to 1500 bucks. More complicated could be three grand, but that is the shortest money you'll ever spend to get. And here's what you get you're going to get, if you get a sophisticated attorney who knows how to do that well, you're going to get everything in order so you don't have to understand all these corporate formalities and, and how that works. They've done that for you. Now, you can get an education along the way uh, for what you pay, but at least it's in order. And then if anything ever goes south, you can look at the attorney. You know what I mean? You can say, hey, attorney. These things have better be in order because now we have a dispute and we have to go rely on these papers, right. uh, these incorporation papers. Uh, you know, that's the article. That's the um, operating agreement. Operating agreement. And uh, so, so if you have an attorney who has done that, you can also fall back on their – they're responsible for it and right. not, not you. You know, we have so many, Troy, where people come to us, sophisticated people who have been in business for a long time. Right. They come with papers that they created themselves. And, uh, you know, there's, there's inevitably, like, uh, big voids or, or emissions. Well, because or, you guys write the law. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. A contract's different, but how it's, uh, how it's applied, right? Yeah. Based is on what? NAC, right? Versus yeah. NRS and all of that jazz. So let's go through that. Like, NAC means how the law is applied, right? Yeah. If somebody's talking about the law, they might be, well, that's NRS. And you're like, well, that's NAC. And you're like, what the hell is that? That's why you need an attorney, because you interpret how the laws apply. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and the courts ultimately do, but then we persuade the courts why uh, they should be decided well, that Well, you way. decide what you're going to present, Yes. and then they make the determination, yeah. right? Yeah, that's so right. So you're presenting the evidence. Yeah, and the thing is to have these incorporate, just to have these things, uh, all your ducks in a row there, because um, you know how much litigation costs. I and I'm a, I'm a litigator, so I don't, all the stuff I just described, the transactional, we call that transactional law, corporate transactional law, that side of it, I don't do, um, and uh, you know those. Joe's <laughs> not doing your LLC paperwork. Yeah, we have people who do. <laughs> we have a whole department that does that. Those folks in that department, they're always like, "I could never be a litigator. You guys are fight. You're up all night long, and you have it's so much attention and adversary." Because when you put incorporation papers together, there's nothing really adversarial about it. It's all kumbaya. Yeah. Everyone's happy. It's like a marriage, you know. So yeah. then you're fighting over words later. Yeah, and, and, but as a litigator, I always look at their type of practice. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't want to be the guy who left out the critical clause, right, <laughs> yeah, the critical exactly. provision. Because we're the litigators. We look at these things like, where the heck is that friggin' clause? Who wrote these things, you know? And, uh, you, you know, and then we chase that guy down. We're like, what the heck were you thinking? You, you know? And uh, so I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, but like you said, they have uh, uh, a lot of it's formulaic. They have a lot of forms. And then, right? It evolves. The law is always evolving. So you're always doing little changes um, to contracts as you go forward, as you learn stuff from right. litigation. I'll give you a good example. You know, when the when the collapse happened, the real estate collapse, right. the 
Was that 2008? 2000, tw- 2012 was the lowest point. 2012 was the lowest point. Lowest point, yeah. Yeah, and you know, all of those, uh, uh, the, the Cosmo and City Center, and they, they all had these condos they were Fountain selling. Blue. Yeah, look at that. You know, and just Carl Icahn flipped that for 500 mil. There you go, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, that guy's what a, what a genius. But, you know, from that, all those condos that they sold, um, you know, they were selling those things for like millions of dollars um, at the top level, you know, at the penthouse level. And then when the, when the uh, market collapsed, they went down to like one-fifth or one-sixth of their value, and everybody was bailing. Right. Right. And then even the Cosmo, they didn't have the, those weren't as ironclad as they thought they were. So the litigation. So th- so listen, they prevailed because they had financial muscles and they could muscle those folks. But really, what the point of mentioning that whole thing is, then from that they learned a lesson and they shored up those uh, contracts going forward to account for a major recession like that. Um, I mean, they call it they call it the Great Recession, but. Um, I mean, it's almost a depression. Who, who's the toughest, like, <clears throat> I've watched a bunch of depositions. I'm interested in the law. I think, you know, I'm trying to raise two attorneys. Yeah. Uh, I got two, you know, <laughs> 28 years old. So I'm like, what are you going to do? What do you go? Law school, law school, dad, <laughs> law school. You know, just understand the law. Dad yeah. wants you to be litigators. That's what I'm hoping on. That's why I always, my wife always says, you could put me in a room with a full of attorneys. And I'm like, in heaven. Yeah. You know, like, get a bunch well, of. I different- told you, you probably don't remember the first time I met you. I'm like, you could be an attorney. Because you had all these ideas, and you're like, "Hey, I want to do this." I, this, it's this. one of my, it's one of my big regrets not 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 going to like just figuring it out too late in my you know I could always go back and but I'm too yeah. far, you know I'm too far gone now. I think I asked you in that meeting if you had been to law school. You had because sometimes we have that right. They don't yeah. practice, but they went to law school. Well, you had some training. You're like, no. I'm like, well, intuitively, intuitively, you have a really a lot of good legal thoughts and strategic thoughts. And yeah. I still remember our first meeting too, however long ago that was. But yeah, it's like yeah. almost uh, 15 years ago. So it's a long time. Years, yeah. yeah, time wow. flies. So, yeah. um, have you ever fought like Sheldon Adelson? Because he, like, I've watched his depositions, and this guy, I mean, you want to talk about horsepower. Yeah. yeah. And he likes to fight. He likes to fight. Yeah. So, and so. Rest we, in peace, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, we, we've been on both sides of Sheldon. And um, so we represented him. Okay. Um, now, I didn't personally meet him. Well, I didn't meet him in a legal setting. I met him uh, elsewhere. Well, elsewhere. But um, yes, but. Uh, so we we've sued him because when the whole thing went down, we represented uh, some of the con- we represented the biggest uh, sh- sheetrock company oh, really? out of California, the biggest in the world. And you know they put all that sheetrock in there. We we uh, what happened there? Can we talk about that at all? Yeah, I can tell you. We we get out because I never knew about this whole thing. This is where Sheldon supposedly stiffed people. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So so and uh, listen, we I I don't. On the on the on the Venetian. On the Venetian. So so when you say stiff people, what, what Troy's talking about is all the subcontractors and contractors, and he made claims of um, uh, inferior workmanship and all that stuff. Even though the thing is like a cat, the thing is palatial and beautiful and and spectacular, you know. So on the one hand, here's Sheldon, who's a genius from Boston, by the way. Uh, that's Boston. <laughs> Dorchester. <connection>. Yeah, do- <laughs> yeah, from Dorchester. Used to drive a cab back there. That's he, right. His story is incredible. But um, yeah, so. A lot of people would say, hey, we got stiffed and, you know, they can't stand it for that reason. We had a huge player on that, and we get out early. And I have to tell you, uh, I can tell you, we staked a little bit of our relationship with this client. They're, they're the largest sheetrock uh, manufacturer in the world, and they, and they also install it, too. So we staked it because we made a recommendation to get out early 
yeah. for uh, I can't tell you what the percentage was, but, but less. Take take less, get out now. Take less, get out now, and in the end, it turned out to be a king's ransom. Like we, right. they got, we got out so early because we we kind of knew about Sheldon. We saw saw where this was going. We thought, you know what, this is gonna go for a long time. It's gonna cost you more money, even though you owed a big chunk of change. It's gonna it's gonna cost more in fees than you'll ever recover. That was our feeling. They went with the recommendation, holding their nose. They weren't too happy about it until a year or two later. Then they were like, hallelujah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. And we were like, man, that worked out. But that thing went on for five years. Yeah. And they get, were, get out, get out early. That's the name of the When you're game. going against a titan like that and understanding. Or somebody's trying to steal your money. Yeah, that's right. You know, either way. not not yeah. like If you got somebody who's like, the market's going down, they're in the power seat, they got your money. If there's a bunch of investors, like I had the situation I'm like, let's go after the guy. I didn't hire an attorney, but we went after the guy and we got out. And now everybody, and I told everybody, let's get out together. And they're like, no, we're in. I got out. They're still all in. Yeah. They want out. And they want out now. And, right. And so that's it. So you gotta, you have to sort of understand who you're going against. Right. Sheldon's a good example because Sheldon was notoriously adversarial and combative, right? He was not, and he had the money, right? So, right. so I, I'm going to be the first person to tell you that. Yes, our system is flawed in the sense if you have money, you certainly can do better in the system, and, and it needs to be corrected, but it's it's the way it is right now in certain respects. Not all respects, but certain respects. And a guy like Sheldon Adelson, he had the funds. He could hire the best lawyers in, in, in the world, and he did. And uh, they would I call it flexing the financial muscles. So he would do that because he would go. What can somebody like him do to stop things and just cause all sorts of problems? The whole purpose of some of these uh, rules of procedure uh, to create fairness, right? But it can also, they can also be exploited to cause delay. And time was always on his time if he's got the money because you can never bleed him to death, never. Right. I mean, he was unlimited funds. And so that's what I mean, he flexes financial muscles. Here, some of these small subcontractors were hanging on for their life. A lot of them lost their attorneys because they couldn't pay them anymore. Right. Some attorneys hung on, uh, honorable ones hung on there and just did a pro bono going forward. And that's the only way those small subs could have you know you can imagine troy like getting a gig like gig like that you're like you know if you have a mom and pop business you come home like hey mom hey, you got the Venetian. the Venetian. yeah we're gonna be working the venetian with the big dogs and then ultimately it it uh, causes your demise and so that that part and that did happen to some folks and that was sad and so and some people would demonize uh, sheldon for that i don't necessarily know all those facts on that stuff right. we did represent uh, the venetian at, at certain points uh, and did, listen they have so many attorneys. We're right. just one of many, but um, for a little bit. And so, um, you know, we're on both sides of, of that stuff. So, Joe, like, you're a huge sports fan. You're a competitive guy. You went yeah. to the game last week. Uh, I've yeah. called you a number of times. I'm like, where you at? You're like, I'm at the Patriots. <laughs> I'm golfing. Yeah. Uh, what are you up to these days? Yeah, so sports uh, fandom-wise, still a Patriots fan. I know that probably will turn off half your, more than half your audience. Uh, I get it, and I don't care. I don't care because uh, the Patriots are winners, all right? My kid, you know, my... We're, we're, we're. But, you know, and listen, I, and I lived in New York City, too. I get it. I was right in the, uh, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, lion's den down there when I lived there, uh, being a Boston sports fan in New York City. Uh, it's as tough as it could get. But, uh, but I love it. You know, bring it on. Everyone loves their own teams. And, uh, you know, my boy, I have a 12-year-old boy. He goes to school, and he puts on his Patriots stuff, and he, came, he was like eight at the time. He's like, Dad... <laughs> People hate the Patriots. I go, I know, boy. And he's like, oh, you know, at that age, you can be influenced by that. I'm like, he's going to dump the Pats. And I'm like, hey, Max, 
anyone gives you crap, you just tell them you're with the winners. You, you stay over there with the losers. You're over here with the winners because we're going to the Super Bowl every year, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but things have changed, Troy. I get it. I got to yeah. be a little more humble about it. And uh, well, yeah, Tom Brady's gone. Tom's we just gone. went to that Super Bowl. You were saying? Yeah, yeah, went down to that Super Bowl, uh, that Tampa Bay Super Bowl. I thought there was, was only cardboard there. Almost, yeah. Yeah. Just you. Yeah, you know what? I had three cardboards next to me. Uh, my my buddy, uh, who was a client, now is a friend, uh, and he's a big. Um, he's actually a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Moved to Tampa and uh, bought the tickets. He loved football so much he bought the tickets before Tom committed really? to Tampa Bay. So you talk about timing and market, and you know everything's a market, right? Right. Even like sports tickets, as we know, is a market. And uh, uh, so my buddy bought these Tampa Bay Buccaneers tickets. And then they signed Tom Brady like two months later, and the value of those tickets like quadrupled, like overnight. And uh, he's like, Joe, you can't come to any more games. I'm going to sell the tickets. So I said, all right. So we are just talking about like sports and legal matters. Gives me a good transition to uh, John Gruden yeah. and that whole situation there. Yeah. Um, it's clear to me that like that came out of nowhere. Like if they cared about that, Oh yeah. Okay. There's an email who hasn't, you know, it's like the old thing who hasn't said something stupid that doesn't have it in writing that you can go point to it. You know, is it a pattern of behavior? No. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, what well, do you I agree with you too. So if I, if I, if I may just on yeah, that, please. because I'm a little passionate about that. I've always liked John Gruden, uh, before he came to the Raiders. I liked him when he was in Tampa Bay. He was with the Raiders before that, but, um, and the Patriots beat him in that, that snow game. Uh, people call it the tuck, tuck little game, but uh, in New England, we call it the snow game. But anyways, even then, when Gruden was upset and, and pissed off at the Patriots, I still like the guy because he's all in. This guy yes. is committed. 100%. He is all, he bleeds football, that guy, yes. and you can just feel it. Chucky. Chucky, yeah, That's Chucky. It, Did you ever watch became, the, Did you ever watch the show? He had the quarterback show. And it, yes, and he had the quarterback. Was show. he the best Monday Night Football? And, and and he did Monday Night Football, so he was good at that stuff. Like he was good for the league. And then, like Troy was just talking about, and this is why I wanted to jump in, Troy, is you know when I read those things, right? It came out, and um, yeah, he wasn't proud of what he said and, and whatnot. We don't even have to comment on that. But I thought, there but for the grace of God go I, right? There, there but for the grace of God go anyone. You could look back at anything that you put in writing or said a decade or more ago and have to answer for that now. That's a tough thing. If it's not like you said, I don't think reflective of him being misogynistic or racist or right. anything like that. And the players in his team, um, the, the black and uh, the African-Americans and the minorities on that team backed Gruden. And right. even the announcers back Gruden, and they said he's not a racist, and we're not going to behold, we're not going to have him be beholden to these emails that were long ago. Why do you think? Why do you think they did it? I think they did it because of Goodell. He criticized Goodell in those emails. Um, I think Goodell is all powerful. Uh, How I, does Goodell have so much power? How do we get rid of Goodell? Phenomenal. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of him. And the reason is he deflects so much. He takes. You know how much he gets paid? Forty million a year. I thought. Forty million bucks a year. Right. That's before he gets bonused. Right. Forty million dollars. And it a used year. to be a non-for-profit. Did you know that? No. The NFL was a non-for-profit. That's how they were how structured. Did I did not know that. Man, I I did not know that. Yeah. Um, Look it up. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I don't tell you. I don't tell you. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. So he gets paid like forty million dollars before he gets bonus, and you know the guy's not spending a dime on on anything else, right? So, I think he. I think because of the the criticism that that uh, Gruden put in those emails about Goodell, which were. I mean, my goodness, he's allowed to speak privately to a friend who, you know, who's, a, who's a, an executive at the Washington Redskins um, at the time. 
And that's how they get this, you know, they're doing that investigation on the, on the uh, sexual harassment in the, office, in the workplace. They got all these emails. And only that tranche <laughs> of emails is, is uh, disclosed and made public. And then this guy gets fired. I mean, I, it was just a hatchet job from the beginning. And now Gruden has that lawsuit against the NFL. And God bless him. I hope he wins. Yeah, I hope he wins too. Uh, Goodell, let's talk about him. So you, you know way more about football than I do. I don't get into the political thing. What, what does he control? I mean, how does the whole system work? Like, what are the – what are the uh, does do the owners have any rights? It seems like the owners' rights are going away. I would say they're not. Okay. I just say they're getting even more more powerful. Listen, they're giving a bigger piece of the pie to the players, right? Right, and they should. The players should get some money. Amen. The players right. should get that, and, and they should actually probably get more of the piece of pie. But look at the control they have. About he, here's the benefit in in the and the luxury that the NFL has over other professional sports leagues, and that is that these players have short careers. I think the average NFL player plays for three yeah. point four years or yeah. something. It's like, like three, it's, it's like it was I think a running back is like two and a half years. Two and a half years. Brutal position. And, brutal yeah. position. Don't have your boys play uh running back. You know, have them be an offensive lineman or quarterback. And Tom Brady's clearly the outlier, right? He's screwing up the uh averages. But because they have such short careers, you can't unionize these people you can't have these people unified, they're unionized, but you can't have them unified enough to make an impact uh, against the league. So when they're negotiating, the league always has that leverage over them. They say, you guys can't strike because you're going to have all these wildcats, and they're going to be wildcats. They're going to cross the picket line because their there's career no, is going to be over. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. That's right. There's nowhere else to go, and uh, their career will be over. If you're a running back and you say, I'm going to take two years off in this labor dispute, well, in the meantime, all these other running backs have come through the college system, and it's like a glut, and the competition is so much greater. Do you remember when Trump tried to fi- uh, start the USFL, wasn't I sure it? do, yeah, yeah. And you know why I know a lot about that? Not <laughs> only was the East Coast and Trump was still really well-known then, um, I like the idea of – here's the thing. I love the Patriots. I love football. I, you know, and I love other teams in the league, too. Right, me too. The Saints and, and, and some others. Yeah. Uh, but um, And I like the Cardinals, believe it or not, Arizona Cardinals. But anyways, <laughs> so so like the, the game, I can't stand the NFL. I can't stand the league. Right. It's just – and you know what? Listen, let's talk about it. If you go take your family to a game, and I'm going to talk to you about, like, if I wasn't in such a good position financially, and a lot of people – you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They want to take their kids to games, too. And it's not affordable. Like, that's like a to go and sit on the 40-yard line at the Raiders game, eight rows back, cost me $150,000. And then each ticket thereafter is four to $500 per ticket. So now if you want to go sit in the nosebleeds and get your binoculars on, you're still looking at a few hundred dollars. You're gonna, it's going to cost you several thousand dollars to go take your family to a football game. Yeah. And, yeah. That's, and that's because, and especially in places like Las Vegas – and let's talk about this. That was a private-public partnership that is never going to end. That money's not going away. That's still getting paid. Yeah. So Raiders win, Vegas wins, fans lose. We pay for it. Yeah, for sure. Fans pay for it. And the taxpayer, too, even if you're not a fan. Right. The taxpayers pay for it, and everybody else loses. And really, there should just be a second-tier football team or something that could rival the NFL. Yeah, amen. So you're preaching the choir on that. Big time, Troy. And, and and I love football, and there's a lot of players out there who are talented and can't make this league because the rosters are 53 or 50, 
eight now. But, um, yeah, so there's a lot of good players who left by the sidelines. So you could create another league. It just takes a lot of money to do that, and that's been a little bit of the problem. Is that and something then, you want to work on? Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> I'd love that. And then, you know, to build up the fan base and, that's, and all that stuff. But think about what you just said. You paid $150,000 to the Raiders for the privilege for the to, right, to for give the, them more money. For the yeah. rights to give them more money. To give them more money. They yeah. got me pot committed. Yeah, you're committed, <laughs> right? And so, and, and that's the, you know, that's, that's. I'm getting a, out of that deal. Okay. So the guy behind me, he's like, I'll make you whole. And I'm like, I get it. It's emotional, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. I get it, you know? I'm like, okay, you, you make me whole. I don't want to die more than when I'm in it. But I want rights to buy my seats for as long as. And in, they're non-transferable. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't, yeah. you can't just sell it to your son Somebody and then my else. rights go away. Yeah. Like. As long as you have the tickets, I have access to them, and so I'm gonna. He's gonna buy them, and then two. That's a great deal for me. Yeah, it's a great yeah, deal for great him. Deal. It's a great deal. Yeah, and that's what we call a win-win. Win-win. <laughs> well, you know, if he thought it was, you know, if he thought it wasn't a great deal, and I didn't think it was a great deal, but I might not even come to two games. But the fact that I could have options to go to two seats, two games, they're still my seats. I still get that emotional attachment that like. Hey, because my plan was to take my kids there and, you know, yeah. what I mean? so yeah. you know how it is. I it's do. Yeah, I, I totally know how it, it is. And uh, we actually, as a law firm, you know, a lot of the firms in town or the businesses in town support these pro teams now that we're a big league city. And uh, we supported the Knights uh, uh, very strongly right out of the gate, way before the, the NHL even gave us a franchise. So we on that. But with the Raiders, I'll tell you. So so I was negotiating with the Raiders, right? Just like right. anybody else, any other person trying to buy a ticket. And uh, you know, they're trying to sell us on suites and the suites are sweet, right? <laughs> you know. How much were the suites? They were like um, well, I'll tell you this. I don't know per year, but I do know that it was a 30-year commitment and at the end of that. So when, when I was going through my negotiations with my rep, you know, my Raiders rep, uh, which we did down at, at uh, you know, they, they, they try to court you and stuff, so they brought me down to the PG event, the Shriners thing, and we're in the tent and we're, we're doing the negotiations there. And said, I said, what is the nut? What is the total amount of money we will have paid you after 30 years? And he said, oh, no one really asked that. I'm like, I need to know. <laughs> and he's like, seven and a, he goes, seven and a half million dollars. I'm like, seven and a half million dollars. I'm like, I think what we'll do is go buy like a beach house in Southern California, you know, Huntington Beach, and send our clients there. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and that kind of, that kind of, uh, dissuaded us from doing the deal. You know, I'm I, so I've got season tickets for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Season tickets for the Raiders. Season tickets for the Seattle Seahawks. Look season, at that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> season tickets for the uh, Saints. Wow. And so I'm done. But that's how strong the NFL is. You know what right, I mean? Right. Yeah. But I'm done. I'm just gonna go buy. The, I don't need to own those tickets anymore and have that emotional attachment. Now that I've been bouncing around a little bit, I'm just gonna be like, you know what? Okay, cool. I'm coming to Vegas. I love Vegas. I like going to the games. Let me go buy some nice tickets that I'm not financially committed for fifteen thousand dollars for that year. Maybe I'm committed five thousand for that game. Yeah, amen. Smart, smart. And I think the deal that you have with the guy, that the guy behind you at the uh, Allegiant, is a good deal. You know, that is a win-win. And then, yeah, you get the rights, but you don't have that. Uh, you don't have that nut hanging over you, and, and you have to pay for that. And you know, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of work to get. So we have season. T I have season tickets to the New England Patriots. Uh, and we have how, how much are those tickets? They're the most expensive in the league, and <sighs> yeah, and the, honestly, and the, the reason why is so. And I I, I never ever uh, complain about this because I love the Kraft family who bought the Patriots. Yeah. Because the reason why they're so expensive, Troy, is the Patriots didn't do seat licenses. So that nut, that big. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yes. In a purpose, they said we're not gonna. We got a blue collar fan base. 
we're not going to like um, charge them for the right to buy tickets. And we were so grateful. Now, I was already season ticket holder before they bought. Uh, we've had season tickets in my family since, so I'm not, I'm not a front runner on this, folks. I, <laughs> my dad had season tickets to the Patriots the very first year they started. Really? So, yeah. What year yeah. was that? 1960. So 1960. 1960 you so it's a family thing. It's a family thing. Okay. And they destroyed. When I was growing up, you couldn't get rid of Patriots tickets. They were two dollars a ticket. Two dollars. You couldn't. I couldn't get friends to go. And you know, one thing about you know, when you're 10, 11, and 12, and your friend's opinion means everything to you. Yeah. Um, you know, like, oh, you get that type of sneaker, they stink. And then you're, you're like, Ma, Dad, I want a new pair of sneakers. You know, I couldn't get friends. They, they'd say, no, I don't want to go to the Patriots. They stink. I was impervious to that. <laughs> I, I was su such a real fan. Your dad had you brainwashed. Right? <laughs> yeah, the Patriots stunk. Everyone like knows that. Before this long, well, these young folks might not know it. Before this Tom Brady run, the Patriots stunk. We were laughing stock of the league. I'd go down there. When the Patriots are one and twelve in the freezing cold benches, and I'd still go, and I and I loved it. I was a Seahawk fan for years and years yeah, and yeah, years. Right, I still you know, am. I but love that. it's just you know when you move away, you still have all your roots back yeah, in Boston, I right? Yep. Family and who's who's back there right now? So Catholic family, Irish Catholic family. Uh, I got five siblings back there. Five siblings and a mom. Yeah. So your whole family. Yeah, they they're the beneficiaries. So the tickets are in my name, and they go to all the games. Well, I fly back as you know, but uh, not when I can. Yeah. So you're the only one not living in Boston. Well, I have another sister who just moved down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So are people starting to leave Boston? Boston's listen. Boston's gotten crazy too. I've been there lately. It's blow that market is unaffordable right now. Unaffordable, and people are. They, you know what's happening now, Troy? Talk about getting back to the real estate part of it. One thing that I see this paradigm shift that we've seen in all these industries, right? Because of COVID and all that stuff. But before that was starting to happen, before the pandemic hit. And you know this because you've kind of lived this. People are moving now because of uh, certainly real estate prices. So that's traditionally always been a, a reason why, right? It got too expensive. But for politics, people are leaving right. different states because of the politics. Right. And, um, and now so many different industries. Have you ever seen that happen before? Not really like this. I mean, no. we see the exodus in, Cal in California. Right. Uh, we see the uh, influx into Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona. People are leaving Massachusetts in droves, too. Are they heading, where are they heading? They're heading to Florida and New Hampshire. And the reason why they're going to New Hampshire is because there's no income tax. Right. And Florida has no income tax and it's warm. So and it's closed. I was just in uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, all of that stuff. And I thought, this isn't bad. <laughs> you know, when, when you come from Boston and you're yeah. up there and you're like, ah, oh, Stowe, Vermont, this is great. Uh, Portland, Maine, this is great. I want to get like, you know. I love Portland. It's a great city. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Portland, I went on all those tours, heard about the city had burned out in like six different times. Yeah. And just like, I'm like, I, I like the Northeast. I enjoy traveling there, going to games. I, I mean, I love Boston. I, I don't know if I told you this, but my sister went to college out there. Yeah, yeah. She, she lived in Jamaica Plain. Yep, I know Jamaica Plain. And, and when I first went there, um, I went there, and I was drinking back then. I don't drink no more. It's been like uh, 14 years. But uh, God bless, man. Yeah, I was. I took the train to I, the Goodwill Hunting that just come out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took the train to Southie. Oh, nice. <laughs> just, nice. Started, just to see it. To check just out to selfie. see it. Just to see it. Like nothing else. That was my whole trip to Boston. And obviously walked around the whole thing because my sister's a Christian scientist and their whole church is in that. Uh, oh, is it? Out of Boston. Yeah, that's the deal there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. You know, the thing about Goodwill Hunting that you mentioned that. First of all, 
I love the Northeast too. So if you haven't been there, the the landscape and and just the uh, history is phenomenal. Vermont. I lived in Vermont for five years. I don't know if you knew that. And I love Vermont. It's the greenest greenest state in the country. Uh, sneakily though, super high tax rate. But anyway, sneakily Vermont. Yeah, really high tax. Oh, rate. Oh, they got high tax rates in Vermont. Yeah, in Vermont they do. New Hampshire doesn't because they don't have that income tax. But. Um, Goodwill Hunting. I always say, and you went to, I love that you went to Southie to see, I want to see the That's real the thing. That's the reason I was like, yeah. Because I love those guys, like Matt Damon and Will Ferrell. The bo- like, you always, like, just that that Boston attitude, like, oh, you got, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just, yeah. that was a great, I just yeah. felt like it was like a neighborhood that I wish I would have grown up well, in. Well, that scene, and um, uh, my mom was a little bit of a Southie girl. She was Dorchester, so they call her Dart Girl. But, you know, so that opening scene where he goes into L Street Bar, and it's Ben Affleck walking in there, and they're, you know, yeah, kibitzing yeah. And, and bantering and all that stuff. I'm like, they didn't even have to script that. They would just, you could have just set up your cameras, right, right in that bar and just said, all right, roll them and let's, we, you know, because that's exactly how it was. You know, right. it's like, it was just a lot of banter and a lot of uh, close ties and, and um, you know, where your friends became like family. And, uh, yeah, so for that reason, the Northeast is great. So where do you see yourself as your career uh, kind of, you know, gets in at, I guess, what's the word? Sunrise? You're in yeah, your sun, uh, sunset. Sunset yeah, of your yeah. career. Sunset. You're, yeah. you're, you're a dyna- you have cases as many as you can handle. I know that. Yeah. Um, you're busy as they go. Uh, do you see yourself still in Las Vegas for the rest of your life? Do you see yourself getting other houses in California? Where, where are you kind of headed? Yeah, yeah. So good, good question. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So I'm 56, Troy. I'm uh, going to be practicing for at least a dec- decade or more. I, I'm just, uh, I have young kids. Um, so how old are your kids? We have six. Oh, uh, we have uh, one at 32 and the youngest is 12. So I have a 14 year old girl in the house and a 12 year old boy in the house. And so, uh, you know, we'll be raising kids forever, right? But whatever. We, we don't care. It keeps us young. And what else? And that's your wife, do? Aaron, right? My wife, Aaron. Yeah. And then, uh, but so what we just did, so, so I say good question because we just, um, purchased a house on Cape Cod. Ah, yeah, within the last few years. There you go. We, we I, bought my mom's house. I was basically. feeling like you're headed back. That, <laughs> like I was picking it up when you were talking about it. I was like, is he? Is he gonna? He's gonna get a place up there. Like, yeah. So we have it. That's awesome. And um, and it's my mom's place, right? And she still lives there. So she's the caretaker. She's there now. She's taking care of it. And we go and, and we spend uh, some summers there. But you know, in the future, we'll stay out here for the majority of the time. We'll be Nevada residents forever, uh-huh. and then we'll go back to Massachusetts a little more. Okay. So. That's cool. Yeah. A- anything exciting coming up in terms of uh, big legal cases? Anything that you would want to tell people who are listening to you right now about like what they should do in terms of some of your successful clients that you've seen really like uh, do well? Yeah. So you know, uh, the first thing you just or the last thing you just mentioned would be the first thing I talk about, and that is clients who do well. Uh, we we see clients who one of the interesting things about our job is to see uh, what industries people get into. Uh, how they succeeded in those industries. We, we really get good insight into how people did that. And for me, it's fascinating. Troy is one of them. Troy is absolutely right there in the top uh, top of the list about how he went about and his approach to everything and, and just uh, how that's uh, informative and inspiring, right, to, to have these goals and to make it happen and, and to be a can-do person. And, you know, a lot of the people we see who have had success are like that. Uh, and you have to be ready for failure too, right? Right. So, and you got to be able to withstand that. So to get back to the, 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 the core of your question, and that is, you know, what have we seen with these clients and how they have their success? What I've seen is they handle those ups and downs 
well. Certainly better than I would have ever would have. Like, you know, some of these dips, and it's like water off a duck's back. It doesn't change who they are. It doesn't change their ambition. It doesn't dissuade them. They just keep, they're just moving forward, and that's just sort of part of the story or the journey for them, and I admire that. I admire that. They, and you can do that, Troy, right? Like, not everyone can do that. Well, I think, honestly, it develops. Like, if you were to ask me when we first started, if that was going to be me now, I don't think it would be. I think it's through trials and tribulations that you toughen up. Yeah. You, you know, and you don't and, quit. And if you don't, if you have that mentality of like you got something to prove, or for whatever reason, for my reason it was I was a poor kid, right? And for other people's reasons, it could be because you're a rich kid and you you want to be richer than your dad, or it could be that you want to provide for your family, or it could be a number of reasons. But you got to find the reason to get there, and yeah. and because there's going to be plenty of reasons, as you know, like. Physical exercise to quit. Yeah. The, the soundtrack in your mind says quit. No matter what it is, if it's a hard hike up a mountain, if it's a hard run, if it's business, your mind says quit. There's yeah. a there's a why. You come to the why, like with the NTA, right? And like with yeah. the Nevada Transportation Authority, you know, the why came and it said quit. I wanted to quit, but my 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 I've trained myself that I don't quit. Yeah. And no matter what, and so, sometimes that's a good thing, like you know, with uh, things, and sometimes it's a bad thing. Yeah, but so, but, but all right, so you have that self awareness, so that's a good thing. And then sometimes you can rein that in, and then sometimes if you don't, and it, it turns into a loss, maybe it, you can reflect on that and say, yeah, I could have done that differently. But that's how you had your successes too, right? Right. So you, you take to me. You take that good with uh, with the, the bad with the good. And, you, have, uh, you have to. You can't. You gotta yeah. just sit there and you gotta say like with Quickto, like which we should have brought yeah. you guys in in the beginning, yep. right? And we tried to call you at the end, yeah, and yeah. it was like you know already invested. This is a situation I'm fighting for. I'm fighting the Nevada Transportation Authority. Um, you know they don't like my towing business for whatever reason. Um, and you know, basically, they got a blank check. It's and a little they, of a fiefdom, yeah. Yeah, so, and they yeah. can and they can basically knock you out. You know, I've never uh, you've heard about it. Normally, when you hear about somebody having problems with the state, my first brain goes to, "What did they do?" Yeah. So yeah, I'm right. thinking, you know, did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, whatever I tell everybody, they're going to think he did something wrong. But really, I had so many things. I had like that sign company called them. We had to sign up there for years. All of a sudden, the sign inspector's coming for me. All of a sudden, yeah. animal control. We got a guard dog in there. Animal control's coming down. I'm like, I'm getting hit with every city official. And I said, you know, at that point in time, I understood it. I said, it's not what I know. It's who I know. Yeah. And I don't have a phone call to make in this town right now for those types of situations. And I changed that. That's right. I changed that. I said, you know what? I can either continue to sit there and be that guy that doesn't have the phone call, well, I'm going to go meet all the movers and shakers, give them my problem now that I'm having, see if they can help me with it. And then I'm going to realize that, you know what, towing, even though, you know, because I'm going to encounter that problem again in another business, right? Maybe yeah. I get into the marijuana business or maybe I get into the gaming business down the road or some licensed business and I'm going to have that problem again. And I'm going to realize that I better know the people first before I get into the business. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I learned from that lesson. And listen, I didn't lose money on the deal. It just I, I lost my pride when you have to when you like I'm I'm shutting down my business. I'm giving back my license because I don't want I want to have a good. What's the word when you don't have a revocation where you have yeah, a, yeah. a good a clean stamp yeah, yeah. on my record. 
Right, 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 right. And I'm selling the uh, business to another individual on an owner of finance, so it works out good for him. Yeah, and sometimes, to me, though, that's a victory, like recognizing, okay, that is time. Like, you can take that to a fault, to, to, a, to a, a really bitter end, right? If you say never, you know, on certain things, you got to know when to say, you know, like, I, I mean, this is, gets a little hokey, too, like Custer's last stand. Yeah, like, right. Custer, not, not, don't fight that hill today. Let's wait for reinforcements. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I, you know. And, uh, you know, it's like those type of things. you got to know, like, oh, all right, now's the time to pull back, and then here's the time to uh, keep pressing forward and never quitting, you know. So, so I look at that as a micro-level thing. Like, that's a micro-level. You can quit on that one, lose that battle. And, and, and then here's a mixed metaphor again. Like, you know, on the macro level, that's the war level, right? So you can lose battles along the way, but right. ultimately it's to win the war. And, uh, you know, it has a little negative connotation with that type of metaphor. But the point is, I think you get, is like uh, – you know, you want to see the big picture of everything you're trying to achieve, right? And then, uh, and if that uh, ultimately de you determine, like, hey, you know what? This isn't working out the way I wanted to. This is draining too much time, resources. I got other things to do. And you know, we see some of these really successful people. Sometimes they get in trouble because they're they're stretched too thin, and they, their resources are going to too many different places. Right. And we say, geez, you know, uh, uh, sometimes even like medical doctors are like. You know, then they're in the paving business. And we're like, all right, I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> you know, Doc, you could, Dr. Asphalt. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Asphalt, you know. And, and you become – because then if you're not in it and you don't know it like you were just talking about, then you're kind of relying on these experts, you're relying on others, you're not relying on yourself, and, and that can be tricky. So, so the, the, the moral of the story is if you're going to get into a lawsuit, get a good attorney. Before you get into a lawsuit, get a good attorney so that your corporation is set up right. And if you do get into trouble – then know when to stop fighting and know when to, you know, and that's a situation like right now, as I'm talking to you, I have a situation where I was sued in Mississippi and I'll talk about it it's still going. I don't care if they use this as a exhibit. I'm obviously, yeah, yeah. I know that they can pull this out and use this, but literally um, we bought, we, we bought a property out there. I flipped it. Um, the contractor who flipped it, we ended up adding an addition onto it. There was a septic system in the property. The contractor moved the septic system. When we were doing it, I'm like, do you know how to do these septic? Yep, yeah, I know how to do it. Whatever. You know, do you know how to do additions? Yep. So we do everything by permits, codes, this whole thing. We end up selling the house. The people buy it in like December of 2016, and it was a cash offer. So it was a quick close. They waived all their inspections. And... You know, one of them was a septic inspection. So two weeks go by, they get in the house, and uh, the septic starts backing up. And they go, contact me, and they're, they contact the realtor who contacts me, and they're like, hey, our septic's backing up, and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I'm like, looking through all the details, I'm like, well, they waived their, yeah. their septic inspection. And I'm like, con my contractor, I'm like, what the deal? He goes, yeah. I go, these people are saying it's backing up. Go over there, make it right. Yeah, we didn't go over and make it right. He went over there and said, "I, I, I told him to do it that way, right?" Oh, jeez, yeah. And so then, so then these people say they go, um, you know, their their demand was forty five hundred bucks. It's forty five hundred bucks. Pay it, or we're gonna sue you. And I'm like, listen, that's not fair. I yeah. didn't have a chance to correct the situation. You got, I took it a low offer. Right, I took a low yeah. offer, cash close, because you waived, because I waived it, because they waived, because they waived yeah. it, and I'm like, you know, I'll split it with you because I will acknowledge that it's partially my fault because I hired the contractor who put it in wrong, and you didn't inspect it. That's a fair, and they're like, no, that's either the deal. Fast forward, I get defaulted. Wow, because listening to a bad attorney, I hired an attorney. 
He says, hey, his name's Skip Negrato in uh, uh, Mississippi. Hire an attorney. He was doing a tax situation for me, like a tax deal. I'm like, hey, I, I know I'm getting sued because the other guy, the realtor, got sued. How do we want to deal with this? He's like, well, in Mississippi, we have this law where unless they serve you, the, you know, one of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that sounds great. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So my mailman calls me and he says, hey, we don't, we got something. You know, do you want it? No. Well, that comes up as refused. They do publication. We get defaulted, which means for those who don't know, I never get to hear my case. Yeah. So now I'm fighting backwards, yeah. right? Yeah. You got to set aside the default. Well, even from that, they agreed to not set aside the default because we're arguing in front of a judge who's a criminal attorney dealing with a default judgment. So now we got to go to appeals court. So that now we're five years later, right? Wow. Yeah. Over a $4,500 thing that could have been resolved up front. Yeah. Probably should have been resolved up front, but because their egos and my egos are in the way. And I've offered to settle with them for 10000 for 20000 for $30,000 yeah. now. Here's the thing that you ran into, and you're bringing up a pretty good point, Troy. One thing that we experience as litigators is people who often prevail in litigation are really narcissists. Uh, because they will they will be completely unreasonable. Like these, I'm not, I don't know if these people you're going against in Mississippi were narcissists, but they were. Is but incredibly unreasonable. They're not going to like negotiate at all. It sounds like a pretty fair offer. It's short money, right? Let's split this thing and everybody go uh, have a happy life. And they won't do it. And so that puts you in a position of saying, you know what? Well, frig you. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend myself now if I get a fair shot. And you know, and then you ran into the default and service right, issue. Right, but right. but the point is like. I've seen reasonable people time and time again have to concede in litigation more than they ever want to because the other side, even when they're dead to rights, even when the other side doesn't have a great case, um, they're sort of narcissistic. They have delusions of grandeur. They believe they have a great case. Right. You know, then it's our job as attorneys to work on the other attorney to say, hey, you're going to disabuse your client, your narcissistic client, of the faulty notion that they have a good case because we we're going to win at the end of the day and it's going to cost you guy a lot of money. But you know, sometimes our guy doesn't want the fight. Well, let's talk about what they win too. Like if if the if if you let's just say you know plenty of clever business fellas, and if you were to invite a clever business fellow to put their properties in different LLCs, and 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 when you would tell that when people win and they got a judgment, how collectible are those judgments? It's a really good question. So that's the question: Is it going to be collectible, right? So you right. got to look down the line. I talk to clients a lot about that, just in the abstract and general. General, I'll say, listen, at the end of the day, we got to look at who we're going against. Do they have the money? Do they have their money hidden? Um, you know, famously or infamously, O.J. Simpson has a thirty-three million dollar judgment against them. The Goldman family collected one hundred thousand dollars of that, and O.J.'s living a good life. So my point is. They went and prevailed in a huge way in civil court. They won right. a massive, massive judgment against them. And yet, here's O.J. still living, still living a good life, and he hasn't paid that judgment off. And they've only gotten a, a pittance of what they won. So you got to look at that as a litigant, and we help the client with that. We say, hey, at the end of the day, we don't want you to spend a ton of money on us to get a piece of paper that's just a piece of paper that you're going to you can frame it and put it on your mantle, maybe. I don't know. But and, and not trying to be glib, but you know, if it's uncollectible, uh so we look at that all the time, Troy. We say, is it collectible at the end of well, the day? How hard is it to collect a judgment, I guess would be my question. It so so yeah, so more directly to that question, it depends on who you're going against, right? And we collect judgments too. Right. So in fact we have one now, we have a twenty million dollar our client has a twenty million dollar twenty nine million dollar judgment. And we're going against that guy. 
Now, there was a lot of fraud, and the guy who put the money overseas and was still chasing that guy. And the client has a ton of money to chase a judgment like that, right? You have to have a lot of money to get ripped off that much. Uh, and so we're, <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah, you got to have a lot of money to lose that much money exactly. and then to chase that much money. And then chase that money. And so we, we're chasing that one all around the world, and it's kind of fun for us. And we've had some successes here in Vegas. We grabbed the guy's uh, Rolls Royce, and it was great because uh, he was going out to use it, and the marshals were there taking it. You can't take my car. So, so that's a good that's good satisfaction for us, just a little victories like that. But uh, so it all depends on who you're going against. And I'll tell you, some of the judgments that are most collectible might be uh, everything's relative here, fo folks. So if it's if it's below six figures, it's kind of a smaller judgment. I mean, it's just tough it, it's tough to go get a judgment for less than six figures because you could spend more than that in attorney's fees. And if you don't collect your attorney's fees, then you, you, you could have spent a buck to chase a buck. Uh, but if you get your attorney's fees, hallelujah, then you get twice your judgment and you can go collect it. So if, if you're going against somebody who's a professional and has a job, easy peasy. Then we will we garnish their wages, and it comes in every two weeks. We have a ton going on right now. Right. So, in speaking of real estate, so if you're a W two employee and you get sued, they're yeah. gonna collect. If you, yeah, and even if you're not a W two employee, if you own a business, we'll go after your stock certificates. Uh, we know how to do all of that stuff. So, like I said, we've got that guy's Rolls Royce. We've done tilt taps. We've come in and shut down the business, and the marshals come in. They say stop. They take the money right out of the cash register. Tell me about a story like that. That's interesting. It's awesome. Okay, it's so awesome. Like, for me, for me, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, if so, you know the guys, you know the backstory of the case. Yeah, and they get ripped off, and here these people running their business, and they're not paying and not being honorable, from my perspective. Right. Paying their debt. Right. Uh, that made we they made us my client chase them to begin with, and then get this judgment. No, that's super satisfying. We had one just at, in the turn of 2021 where we got we went after a bank account now this was an individual and it was a real estate deal too right so we went after this uh yeah it was a real estate case now that i think about it but anyways we had a judgment of about 140,000 bucks so we're chasing that and we got leads we got information through a private investigator about where this person uh lived worked and all that stuff the first thing we do troy when we get a judgment is we record it at the county recorder's office as you know, that then hangs as a cloud over the uh, title of the real of the property of the real property. You can't foreclose on those type of uh, uh, recordings, uh, but it hangs there. And if they ever try to refinance or sell the house, then it's there, and the title company will say, "Let's clean clean this up." And we love getting those calls. <laughs> we'll get those calls, and they're like, and it can be years down the oh, road. Yeah, it seven, is. Seven, eight years I, down I, the road. I've been in. Uh, I've been on the other side a ton of times. Right? Yeah, you're like, oh, credit card company. What? Yeah, he's like, hey. Yeah, and we say, they'll come and they'll say, the title company usually contacts us and they'll say, what will it take to get it off? And we'll say, the full amount of that um, judgment and our attorney's fees going forward, which is short money, like three or 4,000 bucks. And then, so we have them over a barrel, right? At that point in time, you know you do. We have them over a barrel, yeah. And we know we do. We don't exploit it, we just get what's fair. We say, hey, here's what's going to cost us about two or three or four grand to go through this whole process with you, so we're going to take the judgment out and that, that money, our fees. Our clients aren't going to pay a dime. And hallelujah. So now the client has to wait a long time for that to happen. Right. But we get those calls at least a couple times a year. But I got to tell you, so we just garnished this, uh, or attached this bank account where there was 60 grand in there. That's a pretty good grab right. by us because not a lot of people keep that in their account. And so we got that. And it was a thing of beauty, Troy, because the woman called me, the judgment debtor, and she was irate. You know, and she was like, oh, you, what, you're crazy. This is unfair. This is unbelievable. And I said, look, it, I've been chasing you. I've been reaching out to you. I've tried. I've given you an opportunity to talk to me. You've dodged me. You've evaded me. Uh, we were going to do it in an easy way. You made me do it the hard way. And she's like, what country? Are we in Russia? And I'm like, <laughs> no. 
Because if we were in Russia, you'd be in friggin' debtor's jail. We're an American. You're lucky you're still uh, free. But we now we have your money. So now what you should do is come to the table, talk to me, and maybe we'll work out a deal. Right. And we did. We worked out a deal, which you should have done long ago. Now, we won't necessarily work out a deal unless the client wants us to. Right. And in that case, the client wanted to. But And we already got half the judgment. This is great information. I appreciate you taking the time to come in here this afternoon um, and just make yourself available. Uh, you charge a lot of money. So for me, it's like the best thing in the world, you know, to <laughs> speak with an attorney. And I think for our listening audience and people, for those who are watching us, make sure you give us a five-star review. Make sure you subscribe. And if you guys want to hear Joe Ganley come back on, definitely let us know. Uh, Joe, if they want to check in on you and they want a free attorney advice, you're not going to give that. But if they want to hire you, how, how are they going to get a hold of you? Yeah, so we're at uh, Hutchison & Stefan, a uh, law firm here in Las Vegas. Um, uh, website uh, is Hutch Legal and uh, e easily findable. And, uh, yeah, you can uh, and on the web. What's the spe what's your specialty? What do you like to do? What what would they hire you for? I know you got. I know your. I know Hutch handle Hutch and Stefan handles everything. Yeah, know? we we do. We, we our practices. We we handle virtually everything. And me personally, I'm a litigator, so I do. I do mostly corporate divorces, like I talked about at sort of at the beginning. Uh, but any other any type of dispute where it could be breach of contract, it could be real estate deal, it could be lender liability. Uh, could be eminent domain. We've done a ton of those cases where the government's coming in and taking your property. And uh, so anything related to real estate, we've done one with a septic. Believe it or not, there's septic here. Fighting Irish right here, right? Yeah, fighting Irish. Yeah. So there's septic here in Las Vegas, too. We did a case when you were saying that. We did a case with septic, and it was sort of very similar to that, where it was like, yeah, permitting and all that stuff. Right. But uh, so it's kind of, so yeah, so we, we do anything that where there's a dispute um, with a with anything intellectual property if somebody's ripping you off your, your trademark or your um, copyright or anything you like guys that. do personal injury everybody in vegas seems to do that yeah we do we, we don't necessarily advertise that but we do that and we do we actually do quite a bit of it do you yeah um so um i don't personally but we have a, a department that does all right well i appreciate you coming in man all it's right. been a pleasure right. thanks a lot thank you troy really appreciate it peace